Welcome to the Life and Mission Podcast. This week, we're talking about living for an audience of one in part two of my look at The Call by Oz Guinness. Today's episode is about motivation and living for an audience of one. In episode 31, What Does It Mean to Be Called?, we looked at the first part of Oz Guinness's book, The Call. And the main point there is that there cannot be a calling without a caller, and that that caller is God. So it follows naturally. If the one who calls us is God, then we should live in a way that honors him above all else. Guinness writes, A life lived listening to the decisive call of God is a life lived before one audience that trumps all others, the audience of one. Of course, what he's saying is that if we're called, then the one who calls is our audience. It sounds simple enough. The one who calls is the one to whom we are responsible. Social media, the marketplace, society, they all clamor for our attention. Customers, readers, admirers, those for whom we produce content, those to whom we sell, and those to whom we serve through our business or other endeavors. They are just that. They're customers. They're admirers. They're people in the marketplace. They are important in some ways, but they're not the audience to whom we answer for the call. You see the distinction. Remember, this is my take on Guinness's book. So if you really want to go deep and know exactly what he says, get the book and read it. There's a link in the show notes. For me, I know it's one I'll come back to again and again. The question is, who are we trying to please and who are we trying to impress? Have you ever been in a conversation that added a little comment that seemed innocent enough at the time, but later you felt convicted about it? I've done it more than once. I've done it more than a few times. I'll drop a little comment in and later I'll think, why did I say that? Maybe I felt insecure in that moment and needed to let others know that I'm special too. And what about defending ourselves? Especially when we feel we've been unjustly accused or insulted There's a need to save face, to defend ourselves, and maybe even to belittle the other person a little, or a lot. It's easy enough on social media. I can find a source somewhere to back up my side of the story, and often it can provide an added swipe or two at the opposition. Right or wrong, the flavor and intensity of my response may indicate my focus has shifted away from the caller. One danger in today's world is that we're so connected and easily distracted. At the same time, we're more anonymous than ever. No longer tied to each other in physical community, our personal relationships are often based on what we choose to show others, not what they see of us in real time, in real life. And this can be a great temptation, as we can do or see, watch, whatever we want, because we can't be seen or held accountable. The message today seems to be that we can do whatever we want. But remember Joseph in the Bible? His brothers sold him and he became a slave in Egypt. Then God gave him favor. He was promoted until he was put in charge of Potiphar's household. Now Joseph was handsome and Potiphar's wife made advances toward him. And this was a woman used to getting whatever she wanted. But Joseph refused. Listen to what he says to her. He says, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Against God? What about Potiphar? 
You see, Joseph is responsible for Potiphar's household. He's been trusted with everything, but he says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Because Joseph's audience is God. He lives for God. He carries his responsibilities in a way that honors God. Yes, he respects Potiphar, but he understands that if he does what this woman wants, it's still God that he must answer to. So what happens? Well, the woman lies and she falsely accuses Joseph and Potiphar throws him in prison. If you want to know what happens, it's in Genesis 39. But you can see here Joseph's mindset. He knows who his audience is, the audience of one, God. One of the refreshing things about the call is that Osgenes addresses the distortions and the dangers of calling. The reverse side of calling, he says, is conceit. Truth can be distorted, and the most effective lie begins with a sliver of truth. Guinness says, The closeness between calling and conceit is easy to see. After all, to be called is to hear God whisper three things to you in a hundred intimate ways. You are chosen. You are gifted. You are special. Let those three things sink in for longer than the first precious moments, and you will inevitably hear another voice, honeyed and smooth. Yes, you really are chosen, gifted, special. So if we let the second subversive whisper take hold, we elevate and deceive ourselves, above others and even above God, the very one who called us. And this conceit isn't limited to individuals. Groups and even nations can follow this distorted, malicious whisper. Think about religious empires, manifest destiny, just for two examples. It is the very nobility of calling, Guinness says, that makes us vulnerable to pride. He writes, Temptation tempts most temptingly when it is a shortcut to realizing the very highest at which we aim. So the twisting of our highest aspirations will be twice as evil as the twisting of our lowest. We who are called are vulnerable to pride, even as we claim an audience of one. Why? Because the audience of one is not God, but ourselves. It's possible to think so highly of ourselves that we look down on others. So that's why we don't care what they think. If the audience of one is us, we're in a dangerous place. So what is the remedy for pride? It is grace. When we understand through grace that we are called only because of God's grace, it's not something we've earned or purchased for ourselves. We're unable to call ourselves. God does it. It's by his grace alone. And when we understand that, not only in the head, but also in the heart, then we know enough to be on guard. When our focus is on the crowd, the caller's face gets hard to see. His voice can be drowned out in the melee, not only when we get caught up in disagreements, but also when we're performing. How much time and energy do we spend churning out memes and polls and quotes and questions merely from the fear our social feed will fall into oblivion? I mean, who is this performance for anyway? So let's remember his grace and bring this precious thing before him daily. We can offer it up to him again and again. We can look to Jesus for the answer. He went off by himself and called his disciples to come away from the crowds for times of rest and quiet instruction. And in our busy lives, are we too important to step away for a while and meet with the one who calls us, to seek his face and to wonder at his majesty, and to let him teach us how to be what he has called us to be? It's something to think about. So we have two action steps for this week. First, and this is from 
Oz Guinness's book, The Call, read Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. And think about this. Why does Jesus require that our good deeds be done in secret? Then, let's take time each day to offer our calling back to God. If we allow Him the time and the space to examine our heart's motives, we'll be less vulnerable to the subtle changes that lead us off course. That's it for now. If you haven't heard it, part one of the call is in episode 31, What Does It Mean to Be Called? And as always, links are in the show notes. I'd really appreciate it if you share this podcast with a friend. Catch you next time on the Life and Mission Podcast. Find your voice, tell your story, change the world. Hey, it's Kay here. There's one big truth about fundraising that people do not tell you when you start out. And that is, if you struggle to tell stories, you will struggle to raise funds. But what kinds of stories do you tell? How do you tell them? Where do you find them? How do you put them together? And how do you do all that while you're running your ministry, while you're doing all the work and all the things that you have to do? It does not have to be overwhelming. This is my good news. And also, I want you to hear this. Fundraising is not just about asking for money. Raising funds for your mission does not have to feel icky. Fundraising is really about relationships. It's about sharing stories with friends. And it's about being very clear about what it takes to accomplish great things together. I created the Mission Writers course to help you tell better stories, to know what stories to tell, when to tell them, how to tell them, where to find your stories. So go over to missionwriters.org. That's missionwriters, like you're writing. Missionwriters.org has all the details on the course and on the group coaching program. So you have two options. And if you love a missionary or a nonprofit leader who needs this course, gift certificates are available. So check it out at missionwriters.org and let's make 2024 your best year ever.